0: we use that word burnout, and I experienced this as a physician going through my training, you know, I was, I was, I was burnt out. Yes. And the solutions that were being sold to me were like, well, why don't you learn how to meditate? Why don't you do some mindfulness? Here's this resilience training. It all makes it feel like it's your fault, right? That, that you reached this state of burnout, when in fact, the reason that people are burnt out, especially if you're somebody who is employed outside of the home, is that you know, there's not adequate paid leave.
1: On today's episode, I have Dr. Pooja Lakshman, who is an MD, a board-certified psychiatrist and writer specializing in women's mental health and perinatal psychiatry, a frequent contributor to the New York Times and founder of GEMMA, the first digital education platform dedicated exclusively to women's mental health. Pooja, thank you so much for being here today. It's so exciting to be here. I'm so glad to be able to chat with you again, Kim. Yes, um, we did an Instagram Live um, quite a few months ago. And that was actually our second time meeting. We actually had met um, on like a conference type thing. Um, Feels like forever ago sometimes, but um, I just loved, um, you know, hearing from you. I loved reading an article that we're going to talk about um, today that you wrote for the New York Times uh, and, you know, loved obviously the I Do Live chat. We had so much that I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk a little bit more about what we talked about in more detail so the listeners here can hear all of your wisdom as well. Absolutely. I'm so excited to dive in. Yeah, me too. Well, you know, so May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and, you know, as you know, we're, we're both in the mental health field. Um, so I want to start a little bit just talking about that and, and what you suggest to your patients um, and other moms um, who are coping with the mental overload of motherhood um, and, and then, you know, building upon how moms can develop positive coping mechanisms around stress.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the you know the mental load is something that that you talk about that we hear all about uh, these days on social media. But I think what's really lacking from the conversation so far is yes, but what do we actually do? How how do we fix this problem? And you know, in my practice, I take care of of women. Um, My practice is one hundred percent women. The majority of whom are also mothers. And what I've seen is that motherhood and then the evidence supports this, that once you become a mother, your mental load increases tremendously. And the way that I describe it with my patients is that the mental load is essentially, it's you're the CEO of the household. You're not only the CEO, but you're also the admin assistant. You're Mm -hmm. the HR department. You're the marketing department. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your craft you're services, <laughs> right? <laughs> Your everything. Um, and so I like to, as a psychiatrist, you know, as a physician, I like to think about this in terms of the brain. But I think it's helpful to visualize. So when you're constantly stuck in the mental load, the parts of the brain that are firing most frequently are what we call the prefrontal cortex. So those are the areas of the brain that do planning and strategizing and making complex decisions. So in other words, um, executive function. So it's kind of, it's your CEO brain, right? Right. But then there's all of these other parts of the brain that have you feel emotions and sensations. And what I see with moms who are overburdened by the mental load is that they feel like they're managing their family and they're not actually part of the family. Um, mm. like, like you're kind of the director of operations, but you don't actually have the luxury of being able to participate in any yes. of the things that are happening. And so, so the, the, the solution for kind of disconnecting from the mental load is twofold one, trying to activate those sensory parts of your brain doing anything that you can that will take you out of your to-do list and the problem solving that's constantly going on. And whether it's like making a cup of tea or going for a walk or even something like yoga. And I know that those, it, you know, it, it can be easy for that to sound like just platitudes, you know, of like, well, just go for a walk. And, you know, right. just like, I I don't have time to go for a walk. And I'm like, I don't have time to go for a walk. Right. <laughs> right. It's like you really have to force yourself. And um, so that comes to the second part of bearing the mental load, which is that you really have to learn to delegate, to delegate and communicate with your support system and start to be comfortable asking for help. And And I know we're going to talk more in detail about this, of like what gets in the way and, and what has mom's Fall into that martyr mode trap, and and you know the last thing I'll just say is that I know how hard this is. Like this is this is not easy, and the reason that it's so hard, and I talk about this in my writing, is that our social structures are not set up to support families or women. You know, we've just lived right. two and a half years of a pandemic where you know, where, where people don't have childcare, right. You know, it's impossible to get off a wait list or to, to find childcare or, you know, all these different things. So it's, you know, just constantly remembering that,
1: that it's not your
0: fault that you constantly feel bogged down by the mental load.
1: Yes. And, and I, you know, with being a mom of of two, uh, a working mom of two. I mean, all moms work, right? I mean, um, just different, different levels, different capacities um, <clears throat> in different ways. But, you know, my gosh, it really hit me hard when you said about being the CEO and managing, but not actually being part of the family that like just I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm i still trying to process that because I'm thinking, wow, that's me. Um, that's how it feels sometimes that I'm doing, doing, doing so much for my, my my family and, you know, organizing everything. But then when it actually comes time to actually enjoy my family or enjoy my children, it's almost like I can't shut my brain off because I'm still, like you said, in kind of that, that planning mode um, organizing mode and it's, it's hard to shut it off. Um, so I like what you said about forcing yourself sometimes to take a break, um, asking for help. We're going to talk more about that, like you said. Um, and sometimes it's, even if you have to do it begrudgingly, it's, it's almost like a necessity and it's critical to do it, um, to, to be able to cope with the stress that comes with all of the things that, that mothers have to deal with. So, um, I I love that. And like you said, it doesn't have to be too much either. It can be something real simple, like making a cup of tea you know um you know cuz like you said going to you know people talk about self care and i think when people talk about self care they think about going to a spa for the day or getting a pedicure and spending hours you know pampering themselves and you know what i tell my clients is that sometimes it could just be a cup of tea or even having a, a, a bite of dark chocolate you know that you sneak in the pantry when your kids aren't looking cuz of course if you if they see you they're going to want some too and you don't want to share in that moment it's your time <laughs> right um so absolutely. And and I love that you mentioned self-care because I
0: actually I have a book that's coming out next year. So so I'll be coming back to talk about that. But yeah, you know, no kind way. of like what you said, like the tyranny of self-care, right? Like we have made it this burden, or not we, you know, corporations, media, wellness companies have made it this burden to sell to us. Yes. When in fact it, we can reclaim ownership over what it means to do self care, so that's another conversation. But I think it's it's kind of related to all of this, and um, absolutely, and I think mothers, you know, really feel that burden.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we'll dive more into that when your book is published next year, because I think there's just so much more to unpack with that. Um, but I know you mentioned this briefly a little, a few minutes ago, and for the people who are listening um, may not know um, that, that you did this, but I want to touch upon um, the article that you wrote for the New York Times um, called How Society Has Turned Its Back on Mothers. Um, which is a phenomenal article. If anyone who's listening out there wants to, you know, look it up, um, please read it. It's it's a phenomenal article. Um, but you talked frequently about the concept around mom burnout being more about systemic betrayal. Um, can you unpack that a little bit for us um, a little bit more? Uh, I know you touched upon it earlier, but I'd love to dive, dive a little bit deeper.
0: Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about because I think it really helps relieve the burden that moms feel and and that I'm sure many folks listening feel. So when we use that word burnout, and I experienced this as a physician going through my training, you know, I was, I was, I was burnt out. Yes. And the solutions that were being sold to me were like, well, why don't you learn how to meditate? Why don't you do some mindfulness? Here's this resilience training. It all makes it feel like it's your fault. Right? Yes. That that you reach this state of burnout when, in fact, the reason that people are burnt out, especially if you're somebody who is employed outside of the home, is that, you know, there's not adequate paid leave, that we don't have reliable child care, that it's impossible to find a therapist uh, because the waiting lists are so long and because people don't take insurance or and it's yep. expensive to even get in health insurance. Right. So there's all of these larger social issues that that our society, our country has kind of collectively decided that um, that we aren't going to give families and women the support that they really need to make good choices for themselves. And ultimately, that all trickles down, those high-level policy decisions, social decisions, Um, that trickles down to um, mothers, parents, workers, getting the label burnout. When in fact, we really need to be talking about, well, what is the context? Like, what is the actual reason that this is happening? And so, you know, over the pandemic, when I wrote that article, I was seeing it from, from the lens of taking care of, of, Mothers who were having to just make these impossible decisions about, you know, for example, like I'm pregnant and we don't know exactly what the health risks are to the fetus of COVID, but I have a toddler and that toddler needs to be in daycare because otherwise I can't work. And if I don't work, then my family doesn't have health insurance. So I'm just kind of forced to make these decisions that put you in this moral conflict. Right. Right. And then I I see those patients that are just in despair. Right. And it's, to me, it just felt bigger than the word burnout. Like burnout just really didn't describe that sort of existential stress (laughs) that everybody was experiencing. And And during that time, personally, for myself, I was going through an IVF journey and and I'm I'm excited to currently be pregnant. Um, But it it has been an interesting juxtaposition because I've been kind of experiencing it from an expert side, but now I'm experiencing it from my own personal human being side. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, that's why I think that Anytime we talk about mental health, anytime we talk about burnout, we have to also talk about the systems and the context that we live in. And, and just one other thing with that, too, is that if you're a person of color, if you have a disability, if you're a single parent, then it's even harder, right? This, mm-hmm. the, the cards are stacked against you even more. Absolutely. So, I think it's just, it's really important too to just remember that um, not everybody uh, comes to the, not everybody has, excuse me, the same
1: choices available to them. Exactly. Yeah. Very well put. So, so my question now is, you know, how do we prevent this type of burnout? Um, how do we prevent, um, you know, <clears throat> getting to that point where we feel stuck, we feel trapped? Um, we feel like we don't have a lot of choices, you know, where can we get the support so we don't feel betrayed? What do you normally suggest to your patients for that?
0: Yeah. So from what I've seen in my practice and then from what I've dealt with personally, or what's worked for me is the first step in this process is always learning how to set boundaries Mm. and learning how to say no, because without that, you can't take any steps further. Really, when I think about setting boundaries and saying no, I think about it as we are exerting our individual power and agency inside, whether the system is your family and it's having a hard conversation with your partner or your mother or even your child yes. <laughs> of saying, hey, you know, I'm really struggling. I need some time for myself. Um, I need to go... I, I need to, you know, I need to take a nap. I need to do X, Y, Z for myself. And and those are hard conversations to have. And that's that's kind of in the family system to even taking it wider to having hard talks with your boss or your employer um, or advocating for change on a larger level. But again, the first step has to be getting comfortable with voicing your needs and being okay with disappointing
1: other people. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> that's a hard one, right? Um, and, and when you were talking about that, I was thinking even just last night, I had a really, really busy day, back-to-back meetings. Um, my son was sick. I had to take him to the doctor. And then I had a couple Zoom calls. And then I had to pick my daughter up from school and then take her to an after-school activity. I and mean, it, it was just nonstop the entire day, right? And um, my husband had finished work. And he said, Hey, let's all, you know, because he, he's a clinical psychologist. So of course he's, you know, very into mental health as well and knows when we all need a break. And he turned to the kids and, and I and said, Hey, let's just go take a little family walk in the neighborhood for a few minutes and get some fresh air, mm-hmm. which is great. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, a phenomenal suggestion after a long day. And, and it was great for all of us just to get some movement. Um, But I, I turned to him knowing that probably would have been beneficial for me though, but I turned to him and I said, you know what, I've been doing something for someone all day today. Um, And I said, right now, what I need is to just have you guys leave the house for 15 to 20 minutes, go on your walk, and I need to stay behind and just lay on the bed and not do anything while you're gone. And he said, okay, So they left for 15, 20 minutes and I stayed home and I laid on the bed and, you know, they were disappointed and they, you know, oh, mommy, I want you to come or why isn't mom coming and almost making me have that mom guilt because I Mm -hmm. made this decision and I just had to let it go. And after that 15, 20 minutes, they came home and I was excited to see them and I felt just invigorated. Like I felt kind of refreshed and like, okay, I can start the rest of the night now and, you know, make dinner and do the bedtime routine and everything else that comes with the evening. So. Um, so I even said no to my family last night and it was a really good decision for me. Now, you know, would have, would some fresh air and a walk help as well? Probably.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: both were kind of a win situation, but, but I just needed to just be around no one and just have, you know, nothing to, to worry about, no one to, no one to talk to. It, it was great. So, um, that's just an example that, you know, in my own life that sometimes you do have to say no. And again, that's a little bit easier sometimes in the family versus like you said, a boss or something else but you know saying no opens up the door to say yes to something else and that yes could mean your own mental health right <clears throat> so exactly and i so appreciate you sharing that story and what stands out to me too
0: is the fact that it was a risk for you to say no that it felt sure. a little bit scary to to do that and and it's always going to feel scary it's always going to be a risk right so i think that's what we have to kind of empower ourselves especially as women who have been conditioned from a young age as little girls that you know that we need to be nice that other people's needs and priorities come before us. It is always going to feel risky to exert assert yourself and kind of say, "Hey, actually, I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to do this." Um, but ultimately, each time you take those little steps, you're building
1: the muscle for yourself. Absolutely, so well said. But and, and, and I want to expand on that a little bit because, um, and I, I tend to fall into this, I don't want to call it a trap necessarily, because it sounds so negative, but I, I definitely fall into being a martyr. So I know you've done a lot of work on that. And I just want to, you know, have you educate everyone today of, you know, what exactly it means to be a martyr, you know, what that looks like. Um, and then, you know, talking about martyrdom and, and motherhood and, you know, how maybe some advice of how us moms um, can get out of that mode. Yeah. So, you know, and, and the word, I'm glad that you said this
0: too or pointed it out because the word martyr is it's so gendered and it kind of brings up such strong feelings. And I guess the reason that I use it is because I've been there too, for me before, before becoming a mother and being pregnant, the way that I experienced it was with my work. With being being a physician and a psychiatrist, and I'm sure you could probably identify with this, Kim, um, but that I was just working myself to the bone clinically oh, yeah. in my training and felt so prideful actually that you know I was staying up all night studying and I was you know the first one there for rounds and all these different things when in fact I was actually pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say martyr, I mean that phenomenon that comes up when you are getting this dopamine hit that comes with serving everybody else, getting everything else done, and knowing that everyone else is dependent on you. And it actually feels really good to be the savior. But ultimately, by the end of it, you're frustrated and angry and and frankly, pissed off that nobody else is pulling their weight <laughs> yes.
1: and resentful and, and, <laughs> and resentful. Of comes with that. Yeah.
0: Yes, totally. And, and, you know, it comes out in one way or another, it's never pleasant to interact with somebody who is in that martyr mode place. Um, you know, that they're irritable and resentful and annoyed. Uh, everybody knows it, but yet, uh, you know there's still sort of the facade of like no i'm i'm just doing this to be nice i'm just doing this to be helpful um and the other thing i want to say is that you know i don't see this as binary i see this as like we fall into we fall into that pattern mm. and you can kind of catch yourself and pull back right like this isn't something that it's like you know you you are, an, are a martyr or you're not a martyr right it's like i think the more stressed you are the more, at least this is what I see in my practice, and, and I can identify it with this myself, kind of the more external stressors that are going on in your environment, the more likely you are to kind of lean into the martyr mode and be like, well, I'm just going to do everything. I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to make it work and then be really resentful at the end of it that, that again, you were the one left sort of holding all the cards. Um, and I think with everything that we've talked about, right, with the mental load and the mom guilt and... Um, The difficulties with setting boundaries and saying no, it's really easy to fall into this martyr mode trap where you are putting everybody else in front of yourself and then feel annoyed and resentful. So, again, so like, okay, well, what do we do? Right? I'm sure many folks that are listening are like, yeah, absolutely, that's me. What do I do? So, the first step is like to recognize that it's happening. And okay. to understand that there's costs to this. Because sometimes with my patients, you know, people will say, well, yeah, but if I don't do it, nobody else is going to, right? Like if I'm mm-hmm. not the one that organizes making the brownies for the PTA meeting, then there's not going to be brownies, right? Or like the kids are going to be disappointed. Um, and that that's true. So I think, but the, the thing with learning to disentangle yourself from the martyr mode is that you have to really think carefully about what are my priorities? Which which are the tasks and activities that actually mean the most to me? Why am i putting time and energy into these certain activities? And actually for yourself having like everything cannot be a priority. You have to pick. You can't do everything at the same level. So again, it comes, then it comes back to setting boundaries where in order to actually have the time and energy and space to start to make some of these decisions about what is a priority, what's not a priority, um, that actually takes time. Yes. (laughs) Energy. So you need to kind of like reclaim some space for yourself first before you can even start to make any of these decisions. Um, Right. Yeah. So it's all, it is all tied together, uh, but I would say kind of the, the, the two pieces for the martyr mode are one, recognizing, two, setting boundaries, and then three, really looking closely as, at kind of which activities, which tasks matter the most to me and my family, and then really trying to let go or turn the volume down
1: on how much energy you put into stuff that actually doesn't really matter that much. That's true. That's true. And I know I personally, like I said before, I, I, I've struggled with that, you know, um, I, I definitely get into that mode pretty quickly. Um, <clears throat> and once you're in it and once you're, I, don't know, I guess you, once you've kind of lived it for a while, it's almost hard to, like you said, recognize it and kind of step back from it because it's, it's what you know. And it's just the day goes on and th- there you are again, you know, day two, day three, day four. And then all of a sudden the end of the week and you're like, oh, I gosh, I did it again. You know, um, it takes that awareness, um, and acceptance that, that maybe that's not where you want to be. So accepting that in yourself. And then, like you said, having that awareness, um, in order to step back and reprioritize, um, different things, because it's, it's real easy, especially if you're used to having that role, like I am, if I'm used to being in that mode all the time, it's a lot harder to change it, a lot harder to step back. Um, you know, versus trying to prevent being in that mode in the first place. So um, I, I love your advice. And I wish I could literally talk to you every morning and you give me a pep talk so I can start my day off, <laughs> you know, so I don't get into that mode all the time because it is hard. You know, it is hard. Um, it is hard. And
0: I also just want to add for folks who are listening, please don't take this as a criticism because everybody lives here in this place, especially if you're a mom. You know. It's easy to get when you hear kind of advice like this. It's really easy to feel down on yourself, like "Oh my gosh, I am doing this. I'm terrible." Right? It just adds to the shame and the guilt, which uh-huh. is not our intention here by any means. Um, Absolutely. And this, is not, this none of this stuff is um, it. It's like one and done. Check it off the list. It's they, these are lifelong practices that you're you're going to have periods of time where you fall back into these. Patterns and and you recognize it and then you shift and and things are better for a little while and then life gets stressful again and it happens again and yeah we go around and around <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes but I'm so glad you mentioned that honestly that's such an important piece of this whole conversation um, you know is is to 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 not feel down or shamed or um, guilty for you know we're, we're here to to lean on each other we're here to support each other we're here to learn and and find coping skills on how to um you know educate ourselves in order to, to to just be aware of of what's going on and and possibly how to help us be you know stronger healthier moms right so um right. I, yeah just so glad you mentioned that um, since we're on a similar topic, I love your concept around maternal gatekeeping, um, which I know I've heard you speak about before. So for anyone who's listening out here that that doesn't know about what that is, can you share what maternal gatekeeping is? Um, and again, I'm guilty of this as well. Um, and what strategies you recommend um, if if we find ourselves in the maternal gatekeeping mode?
0: Yeah, so maternal gatekeeping is this concept, and I can't take credit for it. It's something that's been written about and and talked about, um, by others is, is this concept where as a mother, as a parent that you, um, you, uh, make it very difficult for other caregivers in your life to help with parenting. This is an example is, you know, kind of the mom who, um, you know, has has the husband or the partner that, you know, washes all the bottles or sterilizes the bottles. And then she comes right after and says, oh no, you didn't do it right. I, I need to, I need to fix it. I need to do it again. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> She's like looking over the shoulder of her partner who's changing the diaper and is like, no, 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 <laughs> you did <Yep>. it wrong. <laughs> Let yep. me fix it. That's sort of the maternal gatekeeping. And um, the way that I see it come up in my practice is that If you are somebody who is like a type A personality, or if you identify with being a perfectionist, or even on the clinical side, if you have anxiety or an anxiety disorder, it's a lot more difficult to let go of control. Um, it's, It's actually, it can sometimes feel impossible to watch somebody else take care of your baby or take care of your child in a way that is different than what you would do. Yes. Uh, like it, 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 sometimes for some of my patients, this is just absolutely intolerable, <laughs> 100 so uh-huh, percent in a lot of ways, this comes down to sort of anxiety management. Um, because if you put yourself in the partner's shoes or another caregiver's shoes, if that person really wants to help out, but they're constantly being criticized or rejected or told, hey, that's not the right way, eventually they're just going to stop volunteering and they're going to be like, well, I'm just not good at this. Right. And And I don't right. want to put all the blame on moms here because this is a dynamic that happens. It's co-created. Right. So there's like, sometimes there's this learned helplessness that happens, especially in, in heterosexual couples with male partners with dads where they're like, Oh, well, you know, you just have to do bath time because you're better at it. Right. So it's, it is co-created. I don't want to put all the blame on moms, but If you're somebody who knows that you struggle with letting go of control, there is a place where you can take a little bit of responsibility for like saying, hey, okay, I need to I need to check that in myself because ultimately I do want my partner to co-parent with me. I want them to have the parenting experience of learning and making mistakes and growing because, right, that's how that's how you become a parent, right? By (laughs) by making mistakes and figuring out your style. so the, the best thing that I've seen work for this with this gatekeeping is one again recognizing that you're doing it, two, developing um kind of like self-soothing strategies for yourself in the moment when you notice, okay, I'm watching my partner, you know, do, do dinner time cleanup and he's not doing anything right, but I'm noticing that I, I want to say something and I want to step in, but I'm gonna, I'm actually just gonna remove myself from the situation. I'm going to go downstairs. Good idea. <laughs> yep. I'm going to put on my favorite podcast or I'm going to step out and, you know, go to my exercise class or whatever it is, right? Actually physically removing yourself in the beginning is probably the best way to start to unwind some of those patterns. Because um, really it is about uh,
1: that you're, you're actually getting triggered. So you have to kind of catch yourself. Yes. Yes. Oh, gosh. If you knew how much I can relate to what you're talking about right now. I'm so glad my husband doesn't listen to this podcast um, as often. (laughs) So I wish he did sometimes, but um, because I'm sure he'd have a lot to say about this particular moment. But um, it's true. I I know I get triggered by that sometimes. And I need to, that's such great advice, because if I'm not there to watch, or if I'm not there to um, interject, I I have to step away, because I almost can't help myself but to say something. Um, Because in a way, part of me feels like I'm helping, like, oh, well, I'm going to teach him how to do it better, or I'm going, you know, um, even when it comes, even, even does not even with childcare, even with just simple as something like doing the dishes, like when I load the dishwasher, I do it so different than the way he does, we put things in a different spot, at a different angle, like, it's just, and he's convinced his way is the best way and I'm convinced my way is the best way. So <laughs> now we just can't even look at each other when one of us does the dishes. So uh, <laughs> at this point I, I've come to terms with it. And then we just say, thank you for doing the dishes. I appreciate you doing it. So I didn't have to, and then we move on, but, right. um, it's, it's hard, especially you said it's hard when it comes to your own flesh and blood, like your own children, um, you know when when that's going on, and I know I've gotten myself into a trap where, um, you know, I, I was doing maternal gatekeeping when it came to bedtime, and mm-hmm. I so he eventually after so long he eventually just stopped even offering to help, trying to help. I just took care of bedtime, and now after so long, I have grown almost like this resentment of how come I always have to do bedtime and you know and it's like you said it was it was co-created <clears throat> but now that we're in this spot now my kids don't even respond to him if he tries to put them to bed they only respond mm. to me or they'll throw a tantrum and say well mom does it better or mom does it this way and and he's like I'm not mom but you know and now it's kind of created this issue um, in our system in our family system um, ar- you know around bedtime be because of this gatekeeping and um so we've had to almost reprogram um even our children on it's okay if daddy puts you to bed and it's okay if he does it differently than mom and um you know kind of teach them that uh, you know mom mom needs a break and she's going to go downstairs and start watching a show while dad puts you to bed and most time it's okay and if i'm not home 100% it works out great but if i'm mm-hmm. home and they know i'm home then there's usually an issue so um it's it's a struggle it's a struggle that we find ourselves in um And sometimes it's hard to get out of it once it's already there, Um, but it's not impossible. There is hope out there.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. I think it is an important point for folks who are listening that are early on in their parenthood journey that some of these decisions that you make early on can you know, they stick. You can change them, right? But it is, these are dynamics that kind of start in the beginning, which in the beginning, you know, you might feel like, oh, I want to do everything, right? I'm the mom. I want to do everything. But it is important. And I think that's why it's really nice that you shared that anecdote, Kim, because recognizing that you're you're essentially training. You're training your partner, you're training your kids for what to expect. And um even if something kind of, even if you feel the urge to sort of take everything on right at this moment, are you still going to feel that way two years from now? <laughs>
1: right. Yes, exactly. And I don't, when it comes to the bedtime, now I'm, I'm kind of mm. done. I'm, I'm like, okay, now mommy needs some time at night to herself. And I've realized right. the, you know, the, the, the goodness of that. Um, but now I'm, I'm a little bit stuck because it's been going on for so long that, you know he's checked out by a certain time knowing i'm going to take care of it and then you know my kids are expecting it and it's kind of you know it, it's we've all fall fallen into our roles And I think um, sometimes just sitting down with your partner or spouse and defining roles and and it could change, too. It could change over time as your kids get older and have different needs. But I think just having that conversation and that communication with your spouse or partner about what roles each of you are going to take when it comes to parenthood, um, even from the get go. Um, I think is is really helpful. Cause I think a lot of times too, and I know you're gonna experience this soon as well firsthand, but um I think too, especially if I'm if a mom is breastfeeding, even if it's formula fed, mm-hmm. but a baby's formula fed, but if especially if a mom's breastfeeding and they're up in the middle of the night, you know, it starts real early because the baby is going to depend on the mom a lot more at the beginning than the dad, just for the breast milk alone. Um, if if that's, you know, what the mom and baby are doing. Um you know, from, from day one, the moment the baby's born. So I think, you know, starting those conversations about roles. Um, so if the mom's up all night, every night, you know, feeding the child, then maybe the dad will get up and do the diaper changes on, you know, the subsequent times or, you know, whatever the case is, but just having that open conversation about roles and which one, um, even before the baby's even born or early on, I think is is really helpful for couples. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay, I know we're almost out of time, but I just want to touch upon um, one last thing on psychological flexibility. I love your concept around how the mind is a container of thoughts and feelings, um, but none of them have to define us. Such a powerful statement. Um, The relentless need that we feel um, to find the perfect solution um, that offers an illusion of control. So for example, I think I shared this doing our IG Live a while back, but um, instead of betraying yourself for ordering takeout meals three nights in a row, um, try saying something to yourself like, my home feels chaotic because the world is chaotic, not because I'm a bad mom. And reminding yourself that perfection and order are not the goals, compassion and flexibility are. Can you just quickly expand on that a little bit and just how us moms or parents out there listening um, can give ourselves grace and find flexibility and how we perceive how we are as a mom? Yeah, I I think this is such an important
0: topic. and, And again, I can't take credit for psychological flexibility. It's actually a concept that comes from a specific type of psychotherapy called ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy, which focuses on different tools that we can use to develop a more flexible relationship with our mind. And I think for moms, this is so important because as we've been talking about over this conversation, the mom guilt, that those that self-critical narrative that's always there, no matter what you're doing or what choice you make as a mom, it can be so loud and so um, burdensome. So, so for me, the psychological flexibility piece is recognizing that that that's a thought, right? That's a narrative. That's one storyline, but it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't have to be the truth. It's not the only storyline. There's many other storylines here. One of them being that our systems have betrayed us. Another one being that we all just live through and still are living through a global pandemic. Um, you know, depending on your circumstances, there's many other narratives that you could listen to instead of the one that's constantly saying you're a bad mom, you're lazy, you should be cooking, you know, five meals a week, whatever it is for you. Right. Um, so the, the concept of the psychological flexibility is, is instead of accepting those negative thoughts and letting them control you and letting them define you instead, you kind of say, Hmm, you know, that's interesting. That's interesting that my mind is saying that. Where did that come from? You know, do do I need to listen to that? Is it true? Like you're kind of like getting curious. And if you notice when you, when you talk back, so to speak to those thoughts in your brain, it creates space, you know, it creates the space to kind of question whether this is productive for you to go around with the narrative that you're a bad mom because you aren't breastfeeding, or you're not, you know, making homemade baby food, or whatever it is. There's a million things. There's a million yeah, reasons. Out there right? are. Yeah. But going going around with that thought, like, is that helping you? Is that serving you? Is that serving your family? Um, and so, you know, this is the work that we do in therapy with our patients too, right? Like helping f- folks figure out. And develop a new relationship with their mind. But these are kind of like tangible tools that you can use in the moment when you notice that mom guilt flaring up. And, you know, as someone who's, I'm, I'm 32 weeks pregnant today, and I, I'm, I'm starting to feel this already around decisions that I made during, pre- like, I'm still, I'm drinking coffee, like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How dare I, you know? yeah. Um, Like, it's everywhere. It, it just, it starts so early. Um, it does. And, and, but we can push back, like, like, again, you know, we have agency, we have control here. We don't have to be, um
1: completely bludgeoned over the head with these, these narratives. Mm, I love that. It's just, it's so freeing. You're Like you said, it's so loud, but it can be so freeing to let go of some of those thoughts, um, and replace them with, with, you know, other ones that are, that are just, um, healthier. So, um, I love that. Um, thank you so much for everything today. I, I do want to um, just touch on so people can learn more about Gemma. Um, and then I know you have a new class launching this month. So will you share with everyone a little bit about that and um, what to look forward to this month with your class? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so my company is
0: Gemma, um, and we're on Instagram um, at Join Gemma. Um, we are a women's mental health digital HD digital education platform. And we're specifically focused on women's mental health, um, but also centering issues around inclusion and diversity and impact. And um, we are completely built by physicians, so board certified physicians who specialize in women's mental health and public health. And our whole framework for Gemma is not only the mental health piece, but also the social impact piece. So kind of like what we have been talking about all over this, you know, over the course of this conversation that we can't talk about these coping skills. We can't talk about developing agency unless we also fully understand the systems that we work inside and how oppressive they can be and how women of all types have gotten the short end of the stick. So really kind of understanding what the context is of the systems that we live in. And so um, we have a class launching this month that's called I've Had Enough. Oh, um, Lord, I love it. I love it. Really appropriately titled. And um, it's really focused on meeting women in that place where you are, where you know you're just you're just like I've had enough. And so what do I do? How do I develop skills of we specifically talk about emotion regulation, self-efficacy, finding agency, and then really looking at what is your toolkit that you can use, whether it's inside the workplace, whether it's inside your family, but in these larger systems, our classes are built on a socio-ecological public health framework. So again, we're we're always kind of like pulling out to this larger context. So um, I, I'm really excited for this particular class because it's sort of our, our introduction to the world in terms of this new framework for thinking about women's mental health. And my physician colleagues that, um, that are teaching the class with me are just awesome. So, um, I would love to be able to, um, connect with folks that are listening uh, during this class. And, um, and also you can follow me, my personal account on Instagram is, is at women's mental health doc. Um, so that's where you can find me personally and, um, yeah, uh I, I'm, I'm just excited to to share
1: all of this. So thank you so much, Kim, for having me. Of course. The cor- uh, the class sounds amazing. Um, and then they can sign up um, to, um, to get more information, maybe via your newsletter or whatnot, or even sign up to when the course is live on GemmaWomen.com, correct? Yes, exactly. It's Gemma with a G. And if
0: you go to our Instagram account at Join Gemma, you'll be able to find the link there or it's
1: GemmaWomen.com as well. Wonderful. Well, I encourage everyone. I mean, I think um, you've shared so much wisdom today and so much insight um, that I know it's going to benefit so many listeners out there. So thank you so much for your time um, today. I love, I always love talking to you and can't wait for your class coming up. Can't wait for you to have your baby. (laughs) um, (laughs) And of course, your your book launching next year. So I'm sure we'll be having lots lots more conversations together. But again, And thank you for being here today and sharing all your wisdom. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm excited to, to come
0: back next year and, and, um, really appreciated all the, the great conversation today. Thanks.
1: Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the parentologist podcast. So you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone, you know, is in crisis, please call nine one one.